of our podcast, Clear and Present, where we try to address some of the more contemporary and pressing issues of biosecurity and biodefense in light of not only that community, but the public writ large. And today's episode will be an interesting one because what it really speaks to is the need for re-examination of biodefense and biosecurity, most notably prompted by the Department of Defense recent reposturing towards a collaborative biodefense reforms, a formal effort undertaken by the Department of Defense to reevaluate the current postures, preparedness, capabilities, readiness, and responsivity of the United States and its allies' biodefense and biosecurity infrastructures and functions. Here to speak with me about this today is uh, someone we're all familiar with on the podcast is my friend and colleague, Dr. Diane Deulis. Dr. Deulis is Distinguished Research Fellow in the Weapons Mass Destruction Directorate at National Defense University. And Diane and I have been actually working in this space for a number of years, most notably over the past couple of years. She and I published a couple of papers, one that appears in the journal Parameters and another which appears in the journal M-Sphere and have actually discussed the need for these types of reposturings, reorientations for U.S. and international allied biosecurity and biodefense capabilities. And I think it really begs a number of questions about what this new set of reforms means, how it'll go, and what that portends for the future. Diane, always a pleasure to have you and welcome aboard. Hey, Jim, it's great to be talking to you once again today and happy to be on the podcast. Wonderful. So the first question I have for you that I think is of, of probably primary importance is why? I mean, if, if in fact we've been sort of cooking along, everything status quo, I guess the question here is what does that status quo mean? Why has the DOD proposed these postural reforms and reviews? And I guess why now? Right, Jim, that is a great question. And I like that you introduced in this podcast, uh, some of the earlier work we had done in this area, because, you know, we've been asking these questions for a while about uh, what does biosecurity reform look like post-COVID. We've been talking about sort of how does and how should DOD balance its chemical and biological uh, weapons defense programs with force health protection and things like that? And we've been asking these questions, but I think your question about why this posture review and why now is, is really great because I think maybe people do not realize that the Department of Defense has had a nuclear posture review for decades. And in that review, it is sort of taking a look at the department's posture on nuclear defense for every couple of years. And we've never had one for biological defense. And this is, in, in a sense, the very first one. So I think that in, in itself, right, is, is new and interesting. And so why has the department decided to do this? Well, 
First and foremost, um, the department has recognized that the emerging biothreat landscape, which we have talked about before on this podcast as well, is continuing to expand and new things, new biothreats may be coming down the pike and the department wants to be prepared for those. But at the same time, Uh, we've all just gone through the COVID-19 pandemic and the DOD realized that there were many things they could do to improve the uh, force's ability to operate in biological threat environments like COVID-19. So not just the idea that uh, you know, forces may have to operate um, in a bio threat scenario, but they actually have to operate in scenarios in which there are naturally occurring diseases. Um, and those may become more frequent in the areas of responsibility that the DOD has. So for all of these reasons, you know, emerging bio threats, uh, naturally occurring bio threats, and of course, traditional bio threats, um, the DOD decided to take a hard look at uh, how they are managing biodefense across the entire department. And that's what we see in the result of this very first biodefense posture review. So I think a couple of questions come out of that. I mean, they're, they're sort of embedded within that because the answer, as you gave, is equally as rich as the task that has been posed to the DOD. And I guess, like anything else, these types of review postures and, and sort of resumptions of interest are always predicated upon some form of gap analysis. So coming out of that, I guess the question for you is, have there been identified gaps? In other words, what we do, what we're supposed to be doing, and if yes, how yes, and if no, how no? Obviously, the podcast is on the low side, so there may be certain Mm -hmm. things that we simply can't divulge as guilty knowledge. But to your view, at least, what are those areas that we've done well, and what are those areas that you think the DOD looking to to say, uh, not quite, maybe necessary, but not sufficient? Right, right. What a great question, Jim. And as you know, the DOD has components of biodefense embedded uh, across the department. So, uh, you know, the Department of Defense does research. They are involved in developing medical countermeasures for uh, various numbers of bio threats. They have a very large force health protection effort that's at looking at always improving and expanding upon the general health of everyone in the force. And so it is not for lack of effort, as you've said, but looking across what the gaps might be. And by the way, some of those gaps were recognized during the COVID-19 pandemic. uh, A number of things have been identified, and I could give you a couple of examples. One is trying to better understand the threat and know where threats are coming from within earlier warning in mind. And so in this regard, uh, the DOD wants to step up its capabilities in biosurveillance. Can we be doing better biosurveillance around the world, particularly in areas where uh, DOD personnel are deployed? Another gap that was uh, recognized is that uh, during COVID, we had to be able to get medical countermeasures, supplies, PPE, that is personal protective equipment, to individuals wherever they might be around the world. And we came to realize we have a lot of stockpiles, but we don't always know everything that's in them. We don't always know when these medicines might expire. Um, And so 
the posture review calls for a common operating picture, if you will, that designs a dashboard so that people can see the commands and those who need medical supplies and countermeasures at any given time, they'll be able to see where those things are and what status they are in. Um, and so this is going to be pretty helpful as well. Now, obviously, um, the last thing is always the hardest thing, which is how can the department better coordinate across all the different components that have uh, a share of the responsibility in biodefense? And that's where they've come up with this Biodefense Council. And the council is going to have a lot of responsibilities, but its primary responsibility is going to be to coordinate all across the department. And, um, and so those are, are three examples I can give you of gaps that were readily identified and that the Biodefense Posture Review attempts to address. So if those are the gaps, what are the reforms? Or at least what are the directions or domains of those reforms, both as you would see it and as perhaps mm -hmm. might be proposed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the reforms are numerous. And as I mentioned, this Biodefense Council has its work cut out for us in coordinating across all of the different uh, reforms that are going to be put into place. So, for example, they want to, uh, I mentioned medical countermeasures. Well, they want to strengthen uh, the requirements pipeline for getting those countermeasures to the finish line. They want to do more and better research to look at what our responsiveness and development of countermeasures might be to novel or emerging threats. Um, they want to strengthen collaboration with our allies and partners around the globe. Obviously, if we're doing biosurveillance around the globe, that's something that um, we're going to collaborate with other countries and other components of the U.S. federal government as well. So these are just some of the examples that I can give. Uh, again, there are numerous, uh, numerous things that uh, they intend to reform as are spelled out in the Biodefense Posture Review. But I'll just finish by saying um, in the depth of this document, they kind of bin the reform initiatives into three different categories. One called understanding the threat, a second called preparing and protecting the force, and the third one called mitigating the impact. So in other words, let's find out early when these things uh, might be happening. Let's prepare, prepare and protect as much as we can. And if the worst happens, let's make sure we can mitigate uh, and minimize the impacts. So let me ask, I mean, clearly part of the plan here is to work cooperatively with our international allies and partners. But implicit to any discussion of biosurveillance is also the need to keep at least a finger on the pulse of our international peer competitors, as well as potential proxies that those peer competitors may engage. So here, too, there's a bit of a dilemma, if not a conundrum. I mean, to understand what it is they are doing and mm -hmm. whoever they may be, what risks are posed, if not direct threats then part of that would be to develop those countermeasures. We would have to engage in particular activities that at least at face value may have a peculiar sniff. Let me just give you an example. I mean, so, so we can be clear to the listening audience. So let's just say that we have a peer competitor who develops uh, some, something along the lines of, of a very rapidly spreading virus. Okay. So we'll use the COVID-19 
a crisis as an exemplar. And again, let me be very, very clear. There's nothing to indicate from what I've seen or from what you've seen that COVID was in fact an intentionally manufactured bioweapon. Gain of function issues, lab leaks, well, all of those things I think go into the mix, but direct intentionality for global propagation was not the intent there. But let's just say that based upon the disruption that we've seen from COVID, a multidimensional disruption, certainly biomedical disruption, economic disruption, social disruption, even military disruption. I mean, let's face it, the only time we've seen an operational fleet carrier taken out of service due to a medical emergency was during COVID and all the ramifications that occurred. So let's just say we get wind of the fact that a peer competitor and or their proxies are developing a superbug, a, a precision pathogen, as you and I like to refer to it. Well, you know, to be able to be prepared for such a thing, we sort of have to invest in the necessary research that goes along with that, which may be gain-of-function research, bioagent research, and there may be some provocativity, if not contention, that goes along with that. Any thoughts or any discussion as to what that might entail, obtain, and necessitate? Wow, Jim, that is a tough question. Um, and I agree with many of the things that you said uh, embedded in that question as well. I think that one of the ways, and um, I, should, I should mention, first of all, that the Biodefense Posture Review does talk about biosecurity issues, um, in particular uh, with regard to our laboratories, um, ensuring the safety and security of the laboratories, ensuring adherence with um, national and international norms in that space and striving to help develop some of those norms um, and uh, in terms of biosecurity. So, so I think that uh, there is language in the, in the posture review that speaks to that. But getting more specifically to your question, because as we know, um, perception means a lot. And even pursuing some of these experiments, as you've outlined, um, can give the perception of the development of bioweapons or other kinds of things. And so I think one of the approaches that is valuable in this regard is not focusing our preparedness effort necessarily on a one bug, one drug kind of approach, but looking across, like you mentioned, a virus, a targeted virus, for example. If we had medical countermeasures in development that were broad spectrum antiviral or broad spectrum kinds of vaccine approaches that could encompass um, even a specifically designed kind of bio threat. I think that puts us in a better position um, for bringing this kind of research into a more generalized focus because it's part of a health focus, a force health focus, as well as an approach to address bioweapons. Of course, this isn't the only um, solution in that space. There is going to be effort devoted to non-medical countermeasures. I mentioned personal protective equipment before. Um, and I think that's going to be part of the initiatives as well. Um, but those are just some ideas I could throw out there um, in regards to your question. All right. So let me, let me play angel's artifact and devil's advocate, if I could. So, <laughs> okay. you know, this is the Department of Defense. Right. And it's axiomatic to the defense stance that there are two components of defense. One is defense and one is offense. And there's a gray zone that exists in terms of what types of surveillance operations might be seen as 
pro-offensive. And if, in fact, there is surveillance that would then demonstrate through said surveillance that there is a real risk, if not threat, if not clear and present harm, then the question also becomes, well, what do you do about it? Have you perceived that there's any interest or any directionality towards creating those types of infrastructures and functions to be able to be more proactive, recognizing that the biosecurity and biodefense space is an engagement space, non-kinetically as well as potentially kinetically. Right. Um, And part of this is embedded, um, Jim, in this idea of working better with allies and partners. So uh, one, if I can just take us back to COVID-19 for a second, um, and remember that some of these uh, reform initiatives were uh, proposed in light of, you know, after action reports and examinations of how the Department of Defense handled the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, not, the world is not currently equal in their biodefense, biosecurity, and even biosafety capabilities. So one of the things that was recognized and recommended in the post-COVID environment is we need to understand better what the capabilities of our allies and partners are in terms of what, what can they bring to the fight like COVID-19. Now, obviously that, that goes over into the larger question of what could our allies and partners do in defense of a, a uh, perpetrated biothreat as well. And so I think the way the department wants to start is understanding, okay, what are the capabilities of our allies and partners How can we build some norms and strategies in that space in the wake of COVID-19 that would help us better prepare for bio threats, if there should be one, um, in the future? Now, completely understand this idea about, you know, we have adversaries who may be interested in using these kinds of bio threats against us in the future, particularly given when they see which specific vulnerabilities were shown during COVID-19 and the DOD's, uh, you know, although readiness was not um, poorly affected, you brought up the case of the Theodore Roosevelt, there were many other kinds of vulnerabilities that were widely visible to our adversaries. So I agree with that we have to take um, a, a proactive approach in protecting against those vulnerabilities. But some might say that, you know, a strong uh, defense helps provide a strong deterrent. Um, And so if we can shore up the vulnerabilities that we were made aware of during COVID-19, that may actually provide somewhat of a deterrent uh, going forward. I know it's not the full answer, Jim, that you're looking for. No, no, no. It, 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 it was, it's a great answer because as, as you and I both know, and for our listening audience, both Diane and I work with a group at the Pentagon of the Joint Staff called the Strategic Multilayer Assessment Branch. And as you know, there's an ongoing project through the SMA at Pentagon to sort of really fortify both the narrative and the realities of what deterrence in the 21st century global stage means. And deterrence is part of that new narrative. I mean, that we don't just talk about defense, we talk about deterrence, which by its nature tends to be preemptive, primarily on the non-kinetic side. So that's an interesting point that you make. And you know, it, it's kind of ironic that the, the, the vessel that was essentially incapacitated off operational line 
was the big stick, right? I mean, so the idea of let's walk softly, but carry a big stick, what does that then mean for the future of biodefense, particularly in light of those events? Uh, well, that, that, that's significant. So what's next, Diane? What do you see happening over the horizon, the, the, the probability horizon, at very, very least for the next two to five years? Yeah, that's a great uh, question as well, Jim. And I know that um, one of the first steps, as I mentioned, is going to be the creation of this department-wide representation biodefense council. So there'll be people from across the department, from the commands, um, from the labs, et cetera, that will have a seat on this council and they'll begin to sort of coordinate activities and put into place some of the things that I have mentioned. My sense is that there will be an implementation plan to sort of work out how uh, things are getting implemented across the department that have been proposed in the posture review. Uh, And they'll come back to this council and review these things periodically. I believe there uh, is an intent to have an implementation plan for the biosurveillance efforts and some of the other things. Um, And of course, there is a request for money in the upcoming budget. And uh, you may have heard of the $800 million price tag um, that comes along with these biodefense efforts. Of course, we are in September right now and uh, we do not yet have a budget from our Congress. So that remains a bit of a question mark, Um, but there is a budget associated with this and we'll have to see how that pans out in terms of um, what DOD will be able to do um, and actually implement from what's been proposed. Your thought is that, that that potential $800 million appropriation allocation, that's going to be DOD focal, or that's going to go beyond the DOD to try to conjoin, let's say, a whole of government effort? Well, the money would go to the DOD for the effort, but of course, DOD would be in partnership with um, and coordination with um, the broader biodefense enterprise across the federal government. One thing that I neglected to mention when we first started having this conversation, Jim, is that although many of the things proposed in the biodefense posture review are similar things that appear in the national biodefense strategy, which applies to all department and agencies of federal government. Uh, The biodefense posture review is specifically inward looking to the DOD. It doesn't mean that DOD is the lead on those efforts for all of the federal government. So for example, um, as DOD mounts a stronger biosurveillance effort, that effort is in the interest of the Department of Defense. And of course, it will conjoin with broader efforts done by Health and Human Services, the CDC, other efforts around the world. DOD is not sitting in the driver's seat of those international efforts, but DOD will have a big role to play there, particularly for their own forces moving forward. So um, we'll, again, we'll have to see how it goes with the $800 million price tag but um, presumably it will be in conjunction with other departments and agencies. And, and this is a multi-year effort as proposed, correct? Uh, yes, sir, it is. Right. So um, we will see going forward exactly what can be implemented out of this very ambitious um, but well thought out biodefense posture review. 
Yes, we will. And as it evolves, I mean, Diane, of course, always you come back and we can discuss further as these things develop and as certain things become tractionable. I think that helps to really provide some insights as to what we're doing, why we're doing it and what comes next. So Diane, thank you so much for being on board once again. Look forward to our conversations in the future. Jim, you're very welcome. And I'd be happy to come back and have another conversation about this. Great. Till then. Thanks very much, and thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of Clear and Present. And we look forward to your questions and providing those answers to those questions, not only during our weekly podcast, but to our ongoing interactions. Thanks so much for tuning in, turning on, and staying with us at the tip of the spear. Subscribe to your favorite podcast channel to join us again next time for another episode of Clear and Present.